Man, it's good to be with you guys. My name is David. I love being one of the pastors around here. And um, yeah, singing some Christmas songs. Uh, the Christmas season is upon us. And uh, yeah, just, uh, just reflecting on this a little bit, God, God gives um, and he takes away. Uh, so here's the giving. Man, pretty special. Um, a new little life born into this church family. Uh, Tanner James O'Connell, born to Dylan and Leah O'Connell. And uh, uh, on November 6th, pretty special to welcome little life into, into the world. And, uh, and if you're familiar with Eric Vanderplow, um, his father just passed away recently. Um, and so God gives and God takes away and blessed be the name of the Lord. And so if you know Eric, I'm sure he would appreciate a text or a phone call, um, just sending his condolences to their family. Um, and, uh, and another person from our church family, does the name Maxine Sharp mean anything? Uh, just a lady that uh, is, is battling cancer right now, uh, just got that diagnosis. And so uh, Grandma Bev, we, uh, Grandma Max, we absolutely love her and, and just... Uh, partnering with her for what the future will continue to hold, but she is so thankful for all the cards and love that continues to be showered upon her. Uh, But this Christmas season, we at Hillcrest are also uh, just trying to step into uh, a time when it feels like the world is just a little bit more spiritually aware. And so uh, I hope you get to participate in all the things taking place. Uh, This coming Sunday, uh, is a skate night. We're over at the Oregon Ice Rink, a free night. The only cost is if you don't own a pair of skates. Uh, but my wife grew up in the Midwest. You guys knew this? And, and so the kids are, are frantically asking that they get taught how to skate. Uh, I have no ability whatsoever to teach them that. And so they've now asked mom and mom is excited to help them learn how to skate. So we're excited to, to see you all Sunday night. Uh, invite a neighbor, invite a friend, just a chance to invite someone into the family. Uh, but this season comes with gifts. Feels like this is part of the season. And, and uh, you know, my kids, they find a gift and they'll rattle it and they'll start tearing away at the paper to try and find out what's in there. The anticipation starts to build. And usually if they do tear it, all they see is an Amazon box under the wrapping paper is usually what they find. Uh, But that anticipation starts to build. We love Advent around here because Advent is this anticipation of the arrival of our Savior. And so we're taking a month to anticipate the arrival, which we will celebrate on Christmas Eve. And so we will celebrate hope, peace, joy, love, and ultimately the anticipation is here that God is with us. And so this morning we're exploring the idea of hope uh, and the anticipation of what hope brings. And so our culture knows something about hope And you'll often hear phrases like this, I hope my boyfriend gives me an engagement ring for Christmas. I hope my Vikings or Packers much more likely make the playoffs. I hope she will say yes if I ask her out. I hope my grandparent will get over their terminal illness. Hope beyond hope. I hope we will have kids this year. Uh, And I hope I get this job. And yet all those types of hope uh, come with uh, a tentativity on their expectedness, that there's a, an inability to guarantee whether those things will happen. Uh, there's there's a, uh, 
uh, an uneasiness in, in hoping for some of those things um, and an insecurity. And yet the hope that we're describing that we hear about is anchored in something that is sure, that is confident we will see it happen. And, and so I couldn't help but go back to Isaiah, a, a book written 2,700 years ago that still has relevance for us today that we're going to hear from the prophet Isaiah who wrote to his people, these Israelites, about a coming salvation. And in our instant culture, where we microwave things, where we have these three-second attention spans, I probably lost you guys like five minutes ago. In our instant world, we don't even know what waiting is because everything happens now. And so I want to read these words from Isaiah as they were anticipating a salvation and the meaning it has for our lives all these years later. Here's what the prophet Isaiah says. And, and, and we always hear Isaiah 9, 1 to 6, right? For unto us a child is born. But as I was reading back in Isaiah, the context is pretty bleak. Israel is under the potential and then certain Assyrian oppression. Assyria, the nation, the country of Assyria is about to come in and conquer Israel. And so there's this looming threat that exists and it's to that people that Isaiah writes. He says this, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and the gloom of anguish. David, I thought this was a Christmas message. I thought we were starting Christmas season. In the midst of this bleak reality of the invasion of Assyria, Isaiah writes this hope. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali tribes. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. Midian, when, when Gideon with 300 conquered a far larger number as you have broken on the day of Midian, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle of tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That there is an anticipation and a hope of what this baby brings. And that experiencing hope, we experience hope in discovering that Jesus is the answer to our deepest need, to our most deepest and longing need. That is where we place our hope. So pray with me as we try and dig into the text. This morning. Oh God, you are so good to us. What, what a gift to sit and hear words that were penned and written 2,700 years ago. And yet in your infinite wisdom, they still hold meaning and significance for our lives today. 
of where we place our hope. And so help us give us greater confidence that you are our hope, the anchor for our salvation and our life, our very being. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to discover this hope. What about this baby brings hope? How does this baby, the anticipation of this baby, bring hope? And we're going to go back to Isaiah, and it starts with this coming judgment. And in our waiting culture, this is hard for us. And they will look to the earth, but behold, the stress and darkness and the gloom of anguish it is the oppression and future invasion of Assyria. That's the judgment that's coming on that Isaiah is writing about. And this hope that Isaiah is going to try and tell them about isn't going to happen for 700 years. This hope that Isaiah is trying to inspire them with won't actually happen for 700 years when Jesus is born. And so right now for those people, life is miserable. That there is this constant fear and anxiety and tension they live in. And, and, and the language Isaiah uses is distress, darkness, gloom, and anguish. Do those words feel like they apply for our situation today? That there is distress and pain and darkness and anguish in our world right now. And, and, and I wonder, as we look around, do we... Do we sometimes lose sight of the hope that we have? Here's what Isaiah says to his readers. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress, darkness, and the gloom of anguish. But there is a salvation that will be life transforming. That Isaiah now starts writing about this life transforming hope that the Israelites can have in the midst of this impending judgment. Salvation is coming where gloom will turn to glory. He says this, In distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, they will be thrust into thick darkness, but there will be no gloom for, he, for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt, but in the latter time. And I don't think he's got like the specific time in mind, just this life-transforming hope of what used to be, of your current circumstances, of what you can have because salvation is coming. There will be no gloom. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea. That the salvation that is coming, this hope in this baby, will turn your darkness to light. This distress, darkness, and gloom, the pain you're experiencing right now in your current circumstances, the people who walked in darkness, those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness have seen a great light. On them has light shone. There's this salvation that is coming that is going to be life transforming and it's going to turn your anguish and this word just seems to be all over the biblical text. This word joy. He's going to turn your anguish to joy. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. And he builds it three times about this joy. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy in the harvest. We moved here about two and a half years ago. It's hard to believe. And, and, and I, I still haven't fully gotten used to it. I just drive through cornfields all the time. Like everywhere you go, 
Everywhere you go, there's cornfields. And, and I just imagine, and I, I don't know this to be true, right? But, but I just imagine for the farmer who's out there toiling over these fields week in and week out, there's a feeling that, that rushes over those farmers when harvest arrives. And there's a joy and a happiness that just emerges out of their life before you, a joy is a harvest. Isaiah is saying to the Israelites, there's an impending judgment that's coming upon you and yet in the midst of those circumstances that are not pleasing at all, you can have this life-transforming glory, light, and joy as they are glad when they divide the spoils. There's this life-transforming salvation that is coming. And the salvation, as we know, if we pull into our town for a second, the salvation has come. Why? Because the Savior has come. And so I just want to look ahead to what we already know to be true, what Jesus says in Matthew, or what, what God says through Matthew about Jesus. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child from the Holy Spirit and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly because he's like, how'd you get pregnant? This is not how it's supposed to work. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, the son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Man, again, a mystery. Tell me how that works. But here is what is true about this baby. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This salvation is coming. And I just, I just can't help but think what the Israelites might be feeling about who this Messiah was going to be. And yet, what is promised, this joy and this light is actually a reconciliation. Not of the alleviation of circumstances, but of the person of Jesus. And here's what Jesus says about that time in Isaiah as he starts his ministry. I love this stuff. I love these connections. Here's what Jesus says as he starts his ministry. Now, when he heard that John was arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, where? By the sea, in which territory? The territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. The area by the sea, why? So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, that the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is this hope offered because Jesus has arrived, not hope in the alleviation of circumstances, but in the person of Jesus. I went and visited Maxine at the hospital. And I'm sitting there at our hospital bed and, and I'm intending to encourage her. I'm intending to encourage her with the news that she's about to receive. And then what does, what does Grandma Max start doing? She starts preaching the gospel to me. She starts encouraging me with the hope of eternity. She starts telling me about where her hope is anchored, not in the circumstances and the news she's about to receive, but in a Savior and a life beyond this. Salvation has come because the Savior has come. But if we pulled ourselves back in the time of Isaiah and the Israelites in their waiting, salvation is coming because the Savior is coming. Here's what Isaiah is telling them. 
this super counterintuitive idea of how this Savior will arrive. The Savior will arrive as a baby. Ah, Pick it up at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken on the day of Midian. You, you can feel like the circumstances are going to change. As you read that, you think it's circumstantial, and yet he turns in verse 6. For every boot of the trampling war in battle, tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And then what? For unto us a child is born, the hope of the world coming as a baby. And this Savior, Isaiah says, is going to be like no one else. It's going to be no one like this Savior, and this Savior will transform people's lives. And he gives four titles for who this Savior is going to be. He says this. He says this child born to us, this Savior, is going to be called Wonderful Counselor. He makes a turn, right, and starts elevating the status of who this guy is going to be. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. The Savior is going to be something unlike this world has seen. And, and our hope is anchored in the fact that the Savior is coming. We're talking as a staff, and, and Fred shared sometimes what, what causes us to lose this hope in this Savior. He said it's kind of like driving down the 14. And I have a fixed point, and I can see the capital. And yet sometimes when I'm on the 14, it's a hazy day and I lose sight of the capital. Or, or I go down into a valley and, and I lose sight of, of that fixed point. And, and my connection to it wanes when I'm down in a dip. And then I come back up and I can see the capital. Man, sometimes I don't feel this hope as fully as I want. And yet, Isaiah is trying to call his readers and say, Salvation is coming because the Savior is coming, not in the alleviation of circumstances, but in the person of Jesus. And then he says, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. This Savior will rule the world. The wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. That there is a hope anchored in Jesus that goes beyond the circumstances. And, and around Christmas time, we see these gifts come under the tree. Isaiah is telling his reader, salvation is coming in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the distress, in the midst of the anguish, there is hope to be found. And so I can't help but think of my kids as they will rush to the Christmas tree. You guys are glad your second service. First service, my wrapping wasn't quite as good. Magda helped me wrap this one a little bit tighter, a little bit cleaner. And we see these presents. And then... And then the anticipation builds until the time when we start unwrapping these presents. And our desire, our hope for what could be
And yet, upon opening it, it's filled with other issues of abuse or addiction or loss. I don't know what this Christmas season is bringing or where you find yourself right now in the midst maybe of debt, cancer, or looming death. Distress, anguish, darkness is the context Isaiah found his readers in. Infertility, loneliness, divorce, pain, Those aren't the gifts that we want. What, what happened to that Red Ryder BB gun that I wanted to open up on Christmas Eve? And yet, our hope isn't anchored in the circumstances. In the midst of those, we understand that there is hope and salvation coming, why? Not in the alleviation of circumstances. Because our hope is tied to the person. of Jesus. And we know the story. And yet we want to be reminded every Christmas to be reminded of the power of the story. That Jesus comes as a baby. And, and lives the life none of us could live, perfect, flawless, in the midst of our brokenness. And, and, and goes to the grave and what happens? There's an empty tomb that we anchor our lives in a hope that Jesus has arisen from the dead and our faith in him promises a life beyond this. Our hope is fixed on him in the midst of the changing circumstances. That hope ought not change. And so... This Christmas season. Where's our hope being found? Here's my encouragement. This Christmas season, enjoy Jesus. Enjoy the wonder that is the gift and the hope we find in him. And by reading Isaiah 9, 1 to 7 every day, I hope you just get to ponder. 2,700 years ago, there was a plan of salvation to reconcile individuals, broken, flawed individuals like us to a hope beyond this life. And then our church family has put together an advent calendar. Michelle Pearson, Heather Kugel, along with others, along with our people, each writing a devotional story by our people for our people this advent season. I'd encourage you, grab one of those calendars on your way out. Enjoy Jesus this holiday season. In the midst of all the other activities that are going on, our hope is fixed on him. And not only just us enjoying, but actually seeing this enjoyment overflow and cascade out of our lives. Share your enjoyment of Jesus this Christmas season. How? That you'd pray. <laughs> that you'd pray with desperate dependence that God is actually working. And you guys hear this consistently. Are there people that you're already praying for? Pray that God would use you and your gifts to share Jesus and encourage others this Christmas season. But maybe you're saying, David, I need, I need a little encouragement. If you feel like you need encouragement, ask. Ask your life group. 
ask your women's Bible study group, or, or reach out to the office. Around here, our hope is no one at Hillcrest walks alone. Anonymity is not a value at Hillcrest. <laughs> we we want to be known. As a family, we want to be known. If you feel like you need encouragement, but pray. Pray that God might use you, and then watch. To a world that's in distress and anguish and pain and darkness, watch. Watch for God's work to be had. And here's two ways that I'd encourage you to watch. One, for those that actually have helped you find hope in Jesus. Take an inventory of those who have helped you see Jesus, the hope of our salvation. Who are those people? Who's actually been a part of your story? And then watch and take an inventory of those who need help seeing the hope of Jesus this Christmas season. And then, inevitably, I hope you step and share the hope you experience in Jesus with a friend or family member this Advent season. How? How might you do that? That inventory you took of those that have helped you see Jesus and then inventory of those that have yet to find their hope in Jesus. I got three, I hope, very simple encouragements. Send them a card. In our fast-paced, accelerated world, what would it look like to send snail mail and the slowness of waiting to receive a card that you know might get there in the next week or two to someone, but you might not hear that they got your card for a week? Send them a card. And then give them a call. Check in. What would it look like to pray with desperate dependence that God is at work? Watch for his work all around us and then step by giving some a call. And I wish this last one wasn't so, but it feels like in our world, it is less accepted. I wish it wasn't so. And yet, I think it feels like now more than ever, this is the most meaningful thing I can give someone. It feels like I can just give them a hug. And the intimacy, the physical proximity of what it means just to embrace someone who might be battling death or grief, who's stuck in their circumstance and can't see beyond. They can't see the capital through the haze or the valley. What would it look like to just bring this hope as a tangible way into their life? I hope we at Hillcrest get to continue to be an expression of this hope, both enjoying this hope in Jesus and sharing this hope with those around us. Pray with me. Oh, God, you are so good. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. And so this Advent season, may we look ahead that you are transforming our pain into something beautiful, that you are bringing light to the darkness, that you are changing graves into gardens, that you're bringing this hope, not in something changing or unlasting but something that is true and lasting help us find our increasing hope in you always for your glory we pray amen